Yeah, let's do this. Bandwidth for this week's episode of Book Guys is brought to you by hollowbooks.com, where they create custom-made books where you can hide just about anything. You choose the book, they do the rest. It's the Book Guys show, and hoping that my AA batteries in my mouse will last to the end of the episode. My name is Paul Alves in Toronto, Canada, joined by my co-host Craig Damelo all the way in Seattle. How are you, sir? Good. Uh, I've checked all my batteries because we survived the typhoon over the weekend, so uh, I'm I'm all good on my batteries for yeah. the show. I, j- I just know for a fact these are the last two working AA batteries in the house because I have slowly <laughs> over uh, procrastinating over the last couple of weeks, taken them out of every non-essential device in this world, in this uh, little universe here. So hopefully we'll last to the end. And our guest... Also a Canadian, and, and Craig, the first time I think that Canadians outnumber Americans on the Book Guys show live via satellite is author Sherry D. Ramsey. How are you, Sherry? I'm very well, thanks. We survived our own little typhoon here last weekend, so I'm all stocked up on batteries. <laughs> I guess that's what I need. I need a tornado to to get me out to the Home Depot to buy the big, you know, 100 packs of batteries. That's uh, right. It has to matter. Yeah. <laughs> so, Sherry, as normal... And I, I believe uh, we were joking beforehand that uh, you're the first uh, guest who's actually listened to the show beforehand and still decided to come. <laughs> we, it, it didn't. It didn't scare me off at all. <laughs> and uh, we normally do. What is on your? What's on your? What's on your Kindle? Your nightstand. What's on your? What's on your PC? Your Mac. What are you reading? What are we reading? And as they say, ladies first, uh, Sherry, what's on your nightstand, your Kindle, or on your fridge? Well, let me see. Right now, um, I just started listening to the audiobook of White Cat by Holly Black, uh, which was recommended to me by my daughter, and I always take her book recommendations very seriously. Um, On my Kindle, I'm reading a book called Cold Stone and Ivy by H. Leighton Dixon who is one of my fellow Taiki authors, so thought I would give her a try, and I'm really enjoying that one. And I do have a, an actual print book that I'm ready to start, um, uprooted by Naomi Novik, but I haven't started it yet. But it's next on the list. Fantastic. Quite a, uh, quite a different scope there, different reads. Yeah, yeah, they're, well, I, I mean, I haven't started uprooted yet, but they're, they're quite different. And yet, all within the realm of what I like. So, And Mr. Craig, what's on your Kindle or on your fridge? Uh, I'm actually trying this new thing. It's uh, They've turned books into moving pictures. Uh, so actually, I just watched the two Mockingjay movies uh, to catch up on those because I was way behind. Yes. <laughs> and uh, I, I had read the books. And uh, I, you know, I still think the movies hold pretty true. But the uh, the ending to the Mockingjay movies, uh, spoilers, uh, just didn't didn't translate well for me. 
Yeah, I, th- I think they they simplified the plot a bit, but yeah, they they, they kept pretty faithful. Maybe yeah. we'll, we'll talk later. I don't know if you got to see the um, the leaked trailer for the Dark Tower before it got taken away. Maybe, no, no, I didn't. Maybe we'll talk about that later. We'll spoil it, spoil it a bit. <laughs> um, I've, I've been reading um, a few books by uh, Mr. Rob Dirks, and the first is called The Wrong Unit. It's about a, uh, a servile robot in the distant future, I think the 2800s, uh, who through some chicanery and shambolics, uh, the robot uh, gets stuck not only on the run from his fellow robots, but stuck taking care of a newborn infant as he walks his way around the world in search of humanity's last hope. Uh, it's a lot of fun. I think uh, I'm going to break from tradition here and maybe we're going to play an audible clip right in the What Are We Reading section. Because uh, I thought it was great uh, narration on the wrong unit. And it's also narrated by the author himself, Rob Dirks. Let's give it a quick listen. I don't know what the humans are so cranky about. Their enclosures are large. They ingest over a thousand calories per day, and they're allowed to mate. Plus, they have me, a core shell version 3.4 autonomous servile unit, housed in a mobile bipedal chassis, humanoid shape 55. Not the smartest, or the fastest, or the strongest, or the most efficient. I'm surprised I haven't developed an inferiority complex. But I do my job well, keeping the humans healthy and happy. Hey, you. Hey, you. That's my name, I suppose. It's easier for them to remember than 413S98-ITR8. I've gotten used to it. Yes, human 33A-465. The one named Carl. How may I assist? Go screw yourself. Oh, well. At least I keep them healthy. Uh Uh-oh. What's this? Error. Circular logic function disallowed. Action. System reboot in ten seconds. Not again. The maintenance units still haven't repaired my circular reference allowance function. Go screw yourself is one of those strange instructions that creates a logic glitch. I don't know why they don't let me fix it myself. It's a straightforward hack. In any case, the humans get a kick out of it. No pattern to it, but they make bets anyway. Maybe I do make them happy. Ah, so that was a little clip from The Wrong Unit by Rob Dirks, and that's what I just finished reading, along with his other novel, which is a story about... uh, Nikola Tesla. Yeah, and I've got that one, uh, the Tesla one, definitely high up on my list for next up. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it sounds good. Uh, um, the uh, one you just played that I just totally blanked on the name yeah, of. Yeah, the, the, the wrong but, yeah, unit, yeah. I, you know, I think uh, good for him for doing his own uh, audio book, and it sounds good. Yeah, you know, and, and uh, I mean... I'm not saying that every author should do this, but, you know, uh, if you can read your own, go for it. Why not? Yeah, that sounded great. I I made a note of it. I hadn't heard of that one, but now it's on my list. There you go. We're sci-fying you all up. (laughs) (laughs) Speaking of sci-fi, let's let's, uh, get into it. Sherry, uh, one's aspect to the sun is your, uh, I believe it's the latest. Your latest, yes? Um, Well, it's actually not the latest. It's it's the first in, in a series and the second one did come out last summer but it's it is the first one. Oh, okay so i have more stuff yeah. to add to my audible wish list today this is good That's this right. is good uh tell us a bit about one's aspect to the sun um well one's aspect to the sun is set about uh 250 years into the future 
And the main character is a woman who is in her 80s, but she hasn't aged since she was about 30. She doesn't know why, uh, which sounds like a great problem to have. But I started thinking about it, and I thought, would it really be so wonderful if everyone else around you aged normally, um, your, your family, uh, everyone you know, and you didn't understand why this was happening to you? So she thinks that some of the answers might lie with her mother, who was a genetic researcher, but disappeared when the main character was around 14. She thinks her mother might still be alive, and so she is looking for her. There's also a corporation that her mother worked for, and they believe that maybe they own the uh, ideas or the or the rights to whatever secrets the main character is carrying around inside that is making her not age. And so um, she's looking for her mother, and they're looking for her. Yeah, I mean, it makes for an interesting dynamic. Uh, certainly, in the beginning of the the novel, because I mean, you know, she's in she's a young lady. Apparently, mm-hmm. apparently, and uh, apparently. her eighty-plus-year-old uh, husband comes on board, but she, they kind of keep it a, a secret for a while. Yeah, a little difficult to to uh, explain, maybe. Yeah, <laughs> or <laughs> or maybe you just don't want to be bothered. I think at this point in their relationship, they're just like it's easier to keep it a secret, right? <laughs> um, I think I think at its heart, it's probably a story about family. Um, there's an interesting dynamic between the main character and her daughter who has aged normally and resents that fact. Um, and I, I think the relationship between the main character and her husband is, is interesting. And I think, I, I, I mean, I didn't, I don't know if I did this deliberately, but I think it also became about family as in the crew of her ship is, makes its own family unit in a way. Absolutely, so there were yeah. a few interesting things to uh, explore there. Now maybe we could talk a little bit about the the sequel to that. Don't spoil too much of it because I'm looking forward to moving <laughs> on in the series. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so the sequel is called Dark Beneath the Moon, and it does follow along. I mean, some things are wrapped up in the first book, but there's kind of an overarching story that keeps going. Um, so Luda is still the main character, but we also have another viewpoint character who, um, I don't want to, like I say, I don't want to give too much, but she represents sort of her, Luda's mother's past. So it's, it's part of their, the family past is kind of coming back to haunt her in a way. Um, and yeah, I don't know what, what. I don't, I don't want to say too much, but the story yeah, carries on. It. Don't spoil it. Uh, no. <laughs> can we play a little clip from one aspect for the sun? Sure. Let's do that. Luda! Something was wrong. Ray was shouting. Then I felt it. The ship was shaking as if we were entering an atmosphere far too fast and at the wrong incline. What's wrong? The swing force is too much. I can't hold us to 180. You've got to. 20 seconds, Ray, Baden shouted. Just 20 seconds more. I can't do it. We'll be off the safe side in two more skiffs at this rate. This, can you do anything? He didn't answer me right away. This! His hands never stopped moving over the engineering console, but he shook his head. I'm trying. Nothing's working. Heron whispered something. Yuskea bent over him. What? The main drive. He rasped a little louder. Shut it down. We can't shut down the main drive. 
Viss said calmly. The drag would disrupt the skip. I don't know what it would do to the ship. Ray? I don't know. Her voice was panicked as I'd ever heard it. We'd probably break apart. No. Hiran's voice was stronger, but not much. The plasma drive started. A resonant flux with the skip drive. That's what's wrong. You, you have to shut it down. Well, we're going to stop it right there, not to spoil any more. <laughs> <laughs> it's a great lead-in, though. Yeah, uh, I, I like the narr- uh, the narration was good by uh, Shannon Burgess. Um, maybe a little technically, uh, a little bit of an echo or whatever, but uh, yeah, she had some great uh, characterization, and uh, I, I enjoyed the, the audiobook. Right. Most definitely. That's good. I, she- I'm actually working on the third book now, and... I have a deadline of December, but it's not done yet. So, oh. so, so keep me in your thoughts. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Douglas Adams used to say he loved deadlines. He loved the sound they made when they whooshed by him. Yes, yes. <laughs> I, I used to have that quote taped to my monitor. As a matter of fact, <laughs> <laughs> fantastic. Uh, Sherry, let's, let's talk a little bit about you. You are uh, in Cape Breton, Nova Scotia, right now, fellow Canuck. That's right. Um, and t- tell us a bit about your background, how you got into writing. Um, well, I'm one of those people who always wanted to be a writer. Um, initially, I went to law school. I thought, wow, a legal career would be a great day job, and I will write in the evenings. So I practiced law for about five years and realized that wasn't going to work. Because <laughs> <laughs> you don't have too many brain cells to rub together by the time you practice law all day. Um, so I, I walked away from that career. It it wasn't right for me anyway, and gave myself over to writing. Um, I won't say full time because then, uh, we started a family. So when you're raising kids, you're not really doing anything else full time, but, um, yeah, it's, it's been great. Um, I have, uh, I have four novels out, a book, short stories, um, I'm teaching a continuing education class right now, uh, how to get published with some other aspiring writers, so that's fun. Um, I'm pretty immersed in the writing life in a lot of ways. I do National Novel Writing Month every year. Um, this will be my 14th year to do that. Fantastic. Tell us a bit yeah. about uh, the, the, the Novel Writing Month. Uh, that sounds interesting. Oh, National Novel Writing Month is um, its a personal challenge to write 50,000 words of a novel in a month. Uh, first draft, of course. Um, it takes place all online. Anyone can join up to do it. Um, I mean, you, 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 write, you write however you normally would write, like just on your, on your word processor, on your laptop, whatever. Um, but you can keep track of your of your writing progress on the on the National Novel Writing Month website, and there are well hundreds of thousands of people around the world taking part every year now, and so geographically there are what's called municipal liaisons, and I'm one, so I'm I'm the municipal liaison for Cape Breton. So what we do is encourage and support writers as they take on this challenge and. Um, arrange meetups and write-ins, so designated writing time when everybody who's participating can meet up at a library or someplace like that and just write for a few hours. Um, I think it's a great creative 
blast, you have to learn to turn off your internal editor and not worry that um, what you're writing is perfect. In fact, you I always say you have to be able to just go, this is the worst crap I've ever written, but I'm just going to keep going. <laughs> yeah, just you, you want to just get it all down on the page, right? Get and it get it all down. Um, you can always yeah. review it later, right? That's right. Um, you know, Stephen King calls the first draft the all-story draft, and I think that's what you do if you if you write fast that way right. and not worry about things. Yeah, you can you can edit anything except a blank page. So this is true. <laughs> Good point. <laughs> uh, Sherry, uh, where can folks find all of your fine writings? Um, probably. Uh, well, I, I do have a website. It's SherryDRamsey.com. Um, so ev- you'll find everything there. I have an author page at Amazon. Gosh, you can find me there. I'm on Twitter at SDRamsey. Um, you know, I'm all over the web. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm an internet geek, which I never intended to become, but there but, I am. But there you are. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to put all. I think that's almost universal at this point. No yeah. one intended to do it. No, no that's no. right. <laughs> there you go. Well, maybe I'll start a blog, a little website here, and. Suddenly, you know, you're in front of the computer all day. <laughs> yeah, I know. Like when I joined Twitter in 2008, I didn't expect for it to take up, you know, like 20 minutes a day. But <laughs> there it is. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Time vampire. Uh, yes, Sher- for sure. Sherry D. Ramsey, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, we're going to put a link in the show notes to your Twitter handle, your website and all that. Great. It's been a lot of fun. Uh, hopefully you come back sometime and join us on a panel about some semi-interesting oh, I- topic. I would love to. <laughs> Fantastic. Before you go, just mm-hmm. because, uh, Mr. Craig, we are going to be talking later on in this episode to Mr. Tony Gemignani, the, the pizza Bible, the world's greatest pizza maker. I got to ask Sherry, uh, what's your favorite kind of pizza? Oh, my favorite kind of pizza. I'm, I'm a pretty traditional pizza lover, so I, I just like, you know, a combination. Just, well... Pepperoni, green pepper, mushrooms, cheese. Pretty pretty middle-of-the-road pizza, I guess. I'm getting hungry just thinking about it. Craig, <laughs> Craig what's your fave? Um, you know, I, I don't know. Probably, probably pretty generic. Uh, pepperoni, uh, some onions or pepper on there. Yeah. I think my, my favorite is just a, a, like a, just a New York-style pepperoni pizza. Yeah. I was in Italy. Yeah, I was in Italy this summer for for a few days, for a week, and uh, I should have tried all these, you know, exotic Italian pizzas, but but I didn't. I was too scared. <laughs> you know what? I, I love making pizza at home. That's why I, I really enjoyed uh, Tony Gemignani's Pizza Bible. But uh, I, I got to say, when when I'm in a pinch, like right after this show, I'm ordering a New York style from Domino's. Like oh, there. the, the cheapest, about it now. dirtiest, <laughs> you know, like. Fast foodiest pizza, but you know everything else from them. I don't like it, but that one New York style, I love it. Right. Thank you so much for joining us, Sherry. Thank you, Paul. See you, Craig. Thanks. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to be speaking to Mr. Scott Meyer, the author of the Magic 2.0 series, "Off to Be the Wizard." 
Hi, this is Colin Ferguson. I play Sheriff Jack Carter on Eureka. Hi, this is Bernard Robichaud. I play Cyrus on the Trailer Park Boys. Hey there, it's Adam Curry from the No Agenda Show. Hi, this is Jeremy Bullock, Boba Fett from the first Star Wars trilogy. This is Father Robert Fallisier. Hello, this is Brian Brushwood, host of Scam School. And I dreamed the dream of the perfect book show. When I woke up, it was the book guys. And you were listening to The Book Guys. Book Guys. Book Guys. The Book Guys. You're listening to The Book Guys. The Book Guys show where we talk about books, audiobooks, audio dramas, podcasts, film and television, you name it. We're about more than just books. Search for Book Guys show today in your favorite podcast app. Hey, Paul. Wait, who said that? This is Orson Scott Card. I thought I was the book guy. Now I find out you're the book guy. What am I? Oh, I guess I'm just the author of Ender's Game. Okay. So we're here with Scott Meyer, uh, author of the Magic 2.0 series and a couple other books. But uh, the one I've been reading, or, or actually I just finished reading, was Off to Be the Wizard, which is the first book in the Magic 2.0. And I've already started the Speller Highwater, the second one. But uh, welcome to the show, Scott. Yeah, thanks for having me, Craig. How you doing, Scott? I'm Paul. Hey, Paul. Good to, good to talk to you. Nice to meet you. So, Scott, uh, first, want to uh, make the comment that uh, "Off to Be the Wizard" is one of Amazon's first book with the enhanced uh, content in the uh, on the Kindle. Indeed, it is. Yeah, it's. Um, yeah, I was uh, I was surprised that they uh, picked my book to be one of the first, but I'm I'm very happy with the result. The illustrator did a fantastic job. Yes, and I, I've looked at it. It's it's an interesting concept uh, that they've got going there. But uh, I think more importantly is the concept you've got going on in the book. And uh, spoilers for those that haven't read the first uh, chapter. Uh, it's, I guess it's not the recreation of magic as much as it's almost a redefinition of magic. The uh, the main character finds a internet file that if he alters it can alter reality. So uh, I think in the, I think it's in the first chapter he he changes his height by changing uh, his height in the file and he becomes taller. Is it that is. sorry? Right. I was going to say it, it, you know that's I mean I think it's a great concept and it, oh. it reads really well. Uh, how how did you come up with that? Well, it's um, all I was going to say, by the way, when I jumped in there was I've uh, it's in, that was my off to be the wizard was my first book. And I made the same mistake that I have made on many of my other books that I built the entire plot line around a surprise that comes <laughs> fairly early. So any effort to write any sort of back cover blurb or any sort of review, it, it's impossible to discuss the book without some sort of spoiler. So that's a. Uh, a brilliant move on my part that I've, <laughs> like I said, done about three times now. But um, the way I got the idea was I've, uh, I've, I've often been interested in the idea that we live in some sort of a computer-generated uh, reality. There are, there's, there's actually a fairly uh, convincing philosophical argument for, for the, the idea that we are living in a uh, computer-generated reality. And I always thought that it would be interesting if that were true in theory, then, each human being would really be nothing but a series of numbers in some sort of a spreadsheet somewhere. And I just one night started playing around in my head with the idea of, well, what if you found the spreadsheet? Well, if you change this number, what would it do? That number, what would it do? And eventually I figured out what I thought was halfway, if you squinted at it, plausible 
ways that you could end up doing things like flying and teleporting and traveling through time. And then I thought, well, what would I do if I had those powers? And I realized that living in the modern world, doing that sort of thing would get a huge amount of attention. But living in medieval times, you could just call yourself a wizard and no one would bat an eye. So that was the basic idea. And, and Scott, and, you know, uh, there's some basis uh, in, in data an, and analyzing here. Anyways, uh, just a couple of weeks ago, the analysts at the Bank of America have uh, <laughs> reportedly suggested there's a 20 to 50 percent chance that we do live in some kind of virtual reality simulation. Really? Bank of America. I'm not, really? I'm not making this up. I do not expect that from Bank of America. I, hopefully they don't start telling me that my bank balance is simulated. Sorry. <laughs> Turns out that the numbers were wrong. Yeah. So then I, I, I like what you did, what you've done with the, uh, trying not to ruin too much of it, but I like what you've done with the inability to change history in the books. But that does lead me, I'm, I'm in Seattle uh -huh. and uh, that does lead me to one present uh, case is there is no Boston market in Seattle. There was though. I lived <laughs> in Seattle for 12 years and uh, the book I believe takes place. I believe Martin's, I forget if I endowed Martin as being in modern time or being in the late 90s. Mo I think modern time, if I remember. Yeah, I think modern time. So, yeah, Mo Boston Market has, uh, you're right, Boston Market has curled up and died in Seattle. But by the time I, I lived in Seattle for 12 years, but by the time I wrote the book, I had lived in Florida for, I think, seven years. And there still were a couple of Boston markets in Florida. <laughs> so Yeah, I guess they're a dying breed, aren't they? So that, if, that I, if I had made it Red Mill Burger people in uh in other places wouldn't have understood what i was talking about right exactly and and if you made it dicks there would be too many jokes yeah well that's that's <laughs> just that's just, just the nature of the name of that particular restaurant chain <laughs> right so uh plans i said you've got three books now are there do you have plans for more books in this series and if so are you going to I mean, in, in the first book, you kind of talk about Atlantis and some other spots. Are you going to expand beyond uh, Middle uh, Middle Ages, <laughs> England? You nearly said Middle Earth, didn't you? I know. I did. I did. <laughs> it, it can't be helped. Um, in the second book, I do spend quite a bit of time in Atlantis, actually. And uh, as you say, there's a third book. And that takes place in a totally different place, mostly. And then the fourth book, I actually am in the process of working on. Uh, I've got a draft I'm pretty happy with uh, of it right now. And it's, um, yeah, I don't know when. The, the publishing business is such a weird business. I can't give you any solid idea of when that'll be out. But there is a fourth book. And it is, it is, it's at that point now. Maybe it's just the way my morbid mind works. But I always like it when a book reaches the point that if a meteor fell on me, my wife could still release it. And uh, that's where the fourth book is right now. I like that. Uh, the, the meteor author. <laughs> that's right. You got to be prepared for every contingency. Okay, so that, I guess that uh, goes to my point of I'm not very far in the second book if uh, a big part of it uh, is in Atlantis. Um, I, did, uh, I did read the first one, uh, kind of flew through it, and then hit the, hit the second one right away. I think they're... I think it's a great concept, and I think the characters you uh, have developed are likable and connection. Uh, I, I think one of my favorite quotes from the book is 
from one of the older wizards and his comment uh, near as I can tell all of popular culture and most of English language gets taken over sometime in the early 90s by something called the Simpsons <laughs> yeah yeah that's Philip that's uh it, it it was it was an interesting thing that I you know every every time I've written a book there's there are the challenges that I see coming and there are the things that hit me as a surprise the first time I try to write dialogue for a character and the fact that Philip is from the 80s and Martin is from modern day and the two of them have to try to communicate in the way I've set up my my time travel paradigm. Uh, Philip really doesn't know much of anything about any time beyond his own. And Martin, if he talks like me and my friends, at least, it's mostly going to be Star Trek and Simpsons quotes. That's right. uh, my we my brothers and I communicate almost exclusively through Star Trek and Simpsons quotes. So uh, I had to figure out a uh, <laughs> how that would look from Philip's point of view. Yeah, I, th- I thought that was a, a great line in that uh, in the book. Uh, like are there any other? I mean, I, I, that's the series I've read of yours uh, or partially read, I guess, and how we we came across you. Uh, are there any other of your books you want to mention or series? Well, I wrote the, uh, like I said, there are three Magic 2.0 books out, uh, and I'm awfully proud of all three of them. Uh, then I wrote a book called Master of Formalities that the uh, basic idea, it drifted from this in the writing, but the original idea was, what if Downton Abbey was sent was set in the Dune universe? So I, uh, so, so I tried to write something that uh, that looked like that. And it's a bit of a departure from the Magic books, but still... I think uh, I, I'm I'm quite proud of how it came out. Then I tried a police procedural, which is set in Seattle, by the way. I uh, had to uh, had to uh, get my head around. I actually wrote uh, an entire chase scene in U Village, and uh, then talked to someone I know in Seattle, and they said, "Scott, U Village has changed almost entirely in the last eight <laughs> years." So I had to uh, pull up a bunch of mall maps and Google Earth and figure out how everything fits together now. Um, but that's called The Authorities. It's a humorous police procedural. Pr- procedural. You know, I wrote the book, but I can't pronounce the uh, genre. <laughs> uh, and then I've got uh, two books uh, that uh, have not been released yet. The fourth uh, magic book and another one that uh, I'm uh, talking to a publisher about now. I can't really say much about, but it's a science fiction thing about uh, the rise of intelligent machines that uh, – that that concept that no one's ever written anything about before, um, and then uh, yeah, I'm just working on something now. So that's what I'm up to. When did so? Let me. ask uh, a good question. You're, so you're up to now? Have you always been a writer? Um. Well, it depends on what you mean by a writer. Uh, fact, let's I, uh, say let's say as your your only uh, money making scheme in life. Oh Lord, no! Oh, not even <laughs> close. Now, actually, I started out briefly. I was a DJ. Then I went into stand-up comedy, and that's why I say it depends on what you mean. Because when you do stand-up comedy, if you're doing it right, you write material. Um, so I was writing material, but you wouldn't have called me a writer. You'd have called me a stand-up comic. And I did a I did a, a pretty good amount of stand-up comedy again in the Seattle area. I hear uh, I hear the Giggles Building has been purchased and is being turned back into a comedy club. By the way, um, then. Uh, then after I burned out on stand-up, uh, I actually, my wife and I moved to Florida and I got a job at Walt Disney World for about eight years. But while I was doing that, I was also doing a webcomic 
So again, I was writing the web comic, but you'd have called me a cartoonist. But uh, <laughs> exactly, all these. Titles. But uh, the uh, the following that I built up from the web comic allowed me to self publish uh, off to be the wizard. And uh, when when you self publish, I'm sure you you guys know this and have heard this before. But the these days, it's easy to get something down on paper, get it out and get it out on Amazon and have it look fairly professional. The hard part is marketing it. But thanks to my webcomic, I had this big list of people that I could market it to just by saying, hey, I wrote this and I priced it inexpensively. And that, that brought me to the attention of my publisher. And uh, now, now I've been a, a writer for going on nearly three years, I think. That's, uh, uh, that's great. You. That's uh, very inspirational for other wannabe writers out there. Not, <laughs> not in a derogatory wannabe way, just people that want to actually oh. be... Uh, professional writers oh absolutely absolutely it's it's a shame that wannabe has a uh has taken on the negative connotation that it has because i mean if you're not trying to be something more than what you are i mean what are what what do you got going really right i've never tried to put that thought into words before i don't think i did a very elegant job <laughs> of it but you know what i'm saying uh, hey scott i'm gonna ask you if you could uh, edit the source code for the world what would be the first thing you'd change oh Oh, during this elect- electoral season, that's a very dangerous question to be asking me. <laughs> no, I would I would make some very major changes to the way the last nine months has played out. Um, huh, that's actually a really good question because I, I, I hate to admit it, but all of my thoughts around that idea were very, I guess you'd say self-centered. It was all based on what I would do really unfortunately the entire first three chapters I think it was of off to be the wizard is basically me as Martin. It was what I would do and how I think that would go wrong. Nice. So, uh, but I don't think I would make any, uh, the, the serious answer is I don't think I would be brave enough to make any wide sweeping changes. You know, there's, you know, there's always the change of accident, accidentally changing the, gravitational constant of the earth or something like that and completely destroying everything yes so that that begs the question then have you found the file and is it auto is it an autobiography and not a fictional story oh my friend if i'd found the file (laughs) you'd be the last person i'd tell No, uh, no no if there if there is such a thing i'm certain it's buried so far and so deep that there's no way uh we could ever i mean it would be like it would be like asking pac-man if he's found the source code to the arcade cabinet he's in there's just you know he he only knows how to eat dots i i just came up with a theory on who did find the file i think it's astrophysicist neil degrasse tyson uh, <laughs> who also maintains that the likelihood of the universe being a simulation may be quote may be very high unquote mm-hmm. uh, I, I think he might have changed the world just slightly so that he became a celebrity Absolutely, absolutely possible. Um, I, I'm a big fan of Neil deGrasse Tyson, but he is one of those celebrities that when you look at it objectively, you do scratch your head and wonder, how did this happen? Yeah. That's a, I don't understand. He made an edit. I, there you go. I do, I do sometimes, Craig, you being in Seattle, this might resonate with you a little more. I do sometimes picture uh, Bill Nye just looking at a picture of Neil deGrasse Tyson and shaking his fist. <laughs> you took my gig. Yes. Um, yeah, I actually, you, you said the thing about Bank of America. I saw a thing the other day online. It turns out that when he was in college, Neil deGrasse Tyson was, was like an award-winning ballroom dancer. Were you aware of this? (laughs) No, I wasn't. 
Yeah, yeah, he was like, and there's pictures of him back then, and he, I would not have messed with that guy. He was a big, muscular guy with an afro wearing a unitard and salsa dancing. And, uh, yeah, you, you just never, uh, you never can tell what's in a person's background. Oh, man, I hope the sequel to Cosmo has him with an afro and a unitard. <laughs> that, would be, that would be hilarious. That's right. I'm going to uh, I'm going to uh, demonstrate how the moon was created. I'm going to simulate it with a pasadoble. <laughs> I'm, I'm you, still you, picturing you the other. Obviously, had Tyson. a long career yeah. of stuff. What would be your next big step that you would want to do at, at beyond writing? What's what's your next career change? Uh, beyond writing, I got nothing. I <laughs> when I got done writing, off to be the wizard. I literally did have that moment. I've heard other writers have had this moment, but I turned to my wife and I said, if I could make something resembling a living doing this for the rest of my life, I would count myself a happy, a happy man. And uh, so far, so far I'm making enough money to keep my wife and I in food and the cats and kitty litter. So can't complain. Uh, Scott, where can folks find all your wonderful stuff? Um, my books are uh, all available on Amazon.com, and they're on Audible. Hi, this is Scott Brick. I'm the audiobook narrator of the Jonathan Quinn series, written by some guy named Brett Battles. You're listening to The Book Guys. Book Guys! Hey, that was fun, Craig, talking to Mr. Meyer. Yeah, it was. It was uh, just an interesting guy, an interesting set of books, uh, and yeah, fun. Yeah, I mean, since we we recorded that interview, uh, I believe about a week or two ago, but uh, since then I've already finished uh, the first in the series, and now I'm looking to start the second one in the series, and maybe the third and the fourth. <laughs> yeah, and I I said in that interview, and uh, I was already right when we start when we interviewed him. I had just started the second book, and uh, and yeah, I'm only like a third of the way through it. Had some stuff going on, but uh, it's. The the second book holds up. It's nice. You know, sometimes you worry about that. That oh, you know, the first book was great, and the second one's milking the money train. But uh, no, he uh, definitely holding up. I'm just searching right now for our uh, prize aganza jingle because uh, Jimmy had some things going on. Here we go. Welcome to yeah. prize aganza. Prize aganza. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Wow, I just love how excited uh, Jeff Smith is when he's doing that prize against the thing. Gets me excited, <laughs> even though you know we're not allowed to win the prizes. Uh, so, so yeah, Sir Jimmy, uh, uh, unbeknownst to us, you know, he, he uh, very uh, sneakily posted in uh, at reddit.com slash r slash book guys, saying, "Hey, listeners, whoever you know responds to this, you're going to get you know a bunch of audiobooks. and uh, hey." You got a few bites, and uh, you know I gotta say that's another thing, folks. You gotta do help us out. Uh, it doesn't cost you a thing. Just go to reddit.com/r/bookguys and join the conversation there. Uh, post your book news stories. If there's something you want us to talk about on the show, post it there. If uh, you know, post something about your book. If you're an author, post it right there in the Book Guys subreddit. And you never know when Jimmy's going to be giving away piles and piles of audiobooks. <laughs> He's got them. He's got them all. He does. <laughs> hey, uh, Craig, up next we got uh, our interview with Mr. Tony Gemignani, the pizza dude. Mm, it's mm. a good round interview. It is. It is. <laughs> Have you seen the videos <laughs> of, of Tony uh, throwing those pies around? 
Oh, it's insane. It's nuts. You know, he's not just like the world champ of like making pizza. He's the world champ of like throwing it around while you're making it and doing acrobatics. <laughs> Fantastic. Uh, hi, this is David Barkerley from the Geeks Guide to the Galaxy podcast on Wired.com, and you're listening to The Book Guys. And we're back from break to talk about some food and drink. Hey, our next guest is many-time world champion for making the best pizza in the world, and many-time award winner for best pizza acrobatics. He's a pizza superhero. He's the one and only Tony Gemignani. Hello, Tony. How are you? Hey, guys. How are you doing? Very well, sir. Very well. Hungry. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I can smell the pizza from here. Uh, <laughs> hey, Tony, tell, tell us a bit about yourself as we start here. Uh, how did you get from making that first pie to, to where you are now? You know, I was 18 years old. Actually, I was 17 years old getting out of high school, and I was just about to turn 18 when my brother had the idea of opening up the pizzeria. Uh, I was getting out of high school. He was about uh, 21, 22, and um, he opened up Paisano's Pizzeria. That was about 25 years ago, um, almost today, actually. And wow. yeah, that's where I really made my first pizza for real. You know, where the customer was in front of you, and uh, you know, and and they paid for it, and it wasn't just like making a pizza at home with mom. So it was the right. real deal. I fell in love with it. I always thought it could be better, and um, yeah, I just. Uh, I ventured off after 17 years of being there at Paisano's, and I opened up uh, my restaurant, Tony's Pizza Napolitana, in North Beach, in Little Italy, in San Francisco, and uh, yeah, I'm up to uh, going on 17 stores now. Wow. Wow. And of course, you're here today. We'll talk a little bit about the Pizza Bible. i got to say, it's a beautiful book. Um, the illustrations oh, are you. fantastic. I love how it looks like a, like a pie box. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. That's wonderful. How, how did yeah, the book? Uh, sorry. Go ahead. How did the the book come about? You know, this is my third book I wrote, and uh, you know, at the time, um, I, I guess I could say back in 2011, 2012, I was thinking about another book, and I ran across uh, actually Susie Heller heard me on a radio show, and Susie Heller has. Uh, co-written some books with Thomas Keller and Murad, some really heavyweights in the industry, uh, worked with Jacques Pepin, um, also worked with uh, Julia Childs in her early, early, in, in Susie's early years and, and in Julia's uh, later years. And uh, she heard me on the radio, said, hey, this got to talk to this guy. I wonder if he can do this an event in Napa for me, this fundraising event. I ended up, uh, she called me literally, she got my number from the radio show, they gave it to her, and it was a food show, so they knew she was. She called me on the phone, said, hey, can you come down and do this event? Um, it's a charity event. And I said, you know what, sure, anything in Napa sounds great. Met her, talked with her, and she said, you ever think about doing another book? I said, yep. <laughs> I said, yeah, I, do. I have. It. And the rest is history. Um, we collaborated with 10Speed on this um and a gentleman named steve uh steven uh, siegelman and uh we worked out in napa in a house where a lot of cookbook authors wrote books in her house in a room that thomas keller has slept in and jock Pan and people have gone into napa and got 
very got very deep rooted, and and we we banged out this book uh, at her house. That, for, that's amazing. Uh, well over a year. I mean, it was it was a it was a pretty awesome time to go every other week to the house, spend three or four days uh, in wine country, and, and really <laughs> get down to the nitty gritty of the pizza bible. <laughs> yeah, that, so, that's got to be like the the food equivalent of like you know writing your novel at, at Hemingway's. You know, in his apartment. Yeah, it, it, very much so. Like, you know, it felt like that. It was uh, very uh, zen-like. Uh, you're surrounded by uh, Cabernet uh, grapes. It was just a lot of uh, fig trees. A lot of um, there was a lot of uh, there, was a, there was a really beautiful garden she has. And uh, yeah, it, we we literally uh, wrote this um, together and uh, talked about it. And just it, it was it was an awesome book to be a part of. Um, because my other last two books, I did a children's book before that, and I did a book, uh, wrote a book uh, with uh, Diane Morgan called Pizza back in 2005. Um, but this has my 25 years in it. Um, you know, I would say about 95% of everything I wanted uh, got into this book, and it really set a platform for pizza books. You know, uh, there's not too many books about pizza. that talk about starters that go into hydration. There's a lot of it's almost like that pizza book that goes down the bread route, which this industry has taken a turn and uh, things have changed dramatically and uh, it's very, it's, it's really evolved. So really to be able to put what needed to be in this book um, is pretty awesome. It was supposed to actually was about 500 pages, this book. Uh, we made it 320, I believe, and um, a lot actually didn't get into it, but uh, most of it did, the important stuff did. Ah, like well, all good Bibles have a sequel, so uh, <laughs> we'll wait for that. I, I in your in in the Pizza Bible, you go through a lot of regional pizzas. Like you said, I think a lot of what I really enjoyed about it was the basis of making the dough and and understanding that better. But on top, are there any uh, toppings that are not okay? Oh, uh, is, are there not many times they're okay? I, I pretty much have had it all. Um, I mean, I just got back from Mexico and judged the Mexico Pizza Championships. Um, and in the innovative round, they were making pizzas with maggots. They were making wow. pizzas with caterpillars. And they were making pizzas with a, a ant, a Mexican flying ant. Wow. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. Is there other items or ingredients that shouldn't be on a pizza? Those are a few. I was judging them. Even the judges next to me looked at me and said, I'm not going to eat this. Are you kidding me? And I'm like, well, do you guys eat this here? Or what? You know, because I've been to Italy. I mean, trust me, I've been around the world and had pizza everywhere uh, practically. But in this competition, it was, it was so unusual, uh, some of the ingredients they were using. I mean, it, it, talk about out of the box. I mean, you're jumping way out of the box on some of these. Um, so, yeah, there, are, there can be ingredients that uh, – for me, I, I don't think should be on a pizza, but I would say most of the ingredients, you know, can be on a pizza. I, I, I think pizza is very universal. Uh, it's definitely very regional, and it's worldwide. So you can play pretty much put anything you want on a, on your pizza, but uh, try and leave the maggots out of it. <laughs> I blew that up on Facebook, and everybody's like, "Are you kidding me?" <laughs> uh, I'm really enjoying you know, I'm some not. of the some of the flavor combinations in the in the book. And I got to say, you're the first author I can truly say this to. Your book has changed my life. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you uh, very much. I, well, I mean, because I have you know, pizza the- twice a week, right? And now my pies are amazing. They're <laughs> getting better each time. Every page I read in the book, my pies get better. 
Well, it's supposed to be very user-friendly, and, and a lot of books just said, you know, grab any flower. You see a lot of pizza books written that way. I hated that right. because a lot of pizza books weren't written about, you know, by professionals in the industry. They're written by a lot of home chefs, and in the industry, we're just not grabbing all-purpose flour out, out of the cupboard and making something with it. We're, gra- we're grabbing a type of flour that's used, whether it's 500 degrees, 900 degrees, or 1,000 degrees. There's browning agents involved in dough, and people need to understand that the ingredients are so important. And what books were written about 10 years ago, you had no resources. Now, if I talk about that San Marzano tomato, you can Google it and find it, or that olive oil that comes from Luca, or that flour that comes from Naples. Now books can be so resourced and so – it's just so awesome to be able to write something like that now because, like I said, 10 years ago when I had my first book, if you talk about grande cheese, you, the editors came back to you and said, well, nobody can find it in the stores. How do you get it? And I said, well, it's, it's kind of hard to get. Now it's totally different when you write books. So, yeah, references are great. Now, now Tony, i got to ask you, what's your own favorite pizza for your own personal consumption? Man, that's like asking a dad who's a favorite you got to choose one. <laughs> Uh, but no, I, I think, you know, right now I've been working the coal oven. Um, I like old school pizzas. I'm really a traditionalist. I love Neapolitan margaritas in that 900 degree oven. But if you ever, you know, been to New York or been to New Haven and had a pizza out of a coal oven and it has that char, but it cooked a little longer than that wood fire. So you had some stability to that dough. You had that nice, bold red sauce on it. Just not that simple San Marzano sauce. I'm talking about a bold a uh, rustic sauce over that sliced, layered, uh, dry mozzarella that's on it, a little bit of garlic oil, Romano. Um, yeah, I mean, that that just kind of does it for me now. That tomato pie on that coal oven has been doing it lately. All right, now, now i got to find a place with a coal oven because wood-fired is by, fi- <laughs> by far my favorite, and you're telling yeah. me that it doesn't hold a uh, flame to the coal-fired? i got to find a coal guy, I guess. You do, you do, I think. Yeah, I mean, Detroit's been pretty awesome lately. You know, in the industry right now, it's funny, pan pizzas in the U.S. have been making a comeback. When you think of the word pan pizza, you're like, oh, man, is this like some uh, chain or franchise? No, we're talking about old school, the 50s uh, style, Detroit style pizza cooked in a pan. Uh, You're thinking Chicago style pizza, what it was made like in the 60s. You know, when you think of pan-style pizzas, it may sound like, wow, that sounds like cheap, but not really. Grandma pizzas in Long Island are making a big, big trend right now. Sicilian-style pizzas, which these are all in pans, uh, are making a big, big push right now. So there's been some awesome pan pizzas. I talk about that in the book a lot that um, have really been gaining momentum, and those have been some of my favorites, too. So uh, I go. I want to jump back to the innovation in pizza. You were talking about toppings, uh, bug toppings, and uh, which, okay, I'm sure somebody's doing it. Uh, what? Where else are you seeing? I mean, you're seeing a come. You're saying there's a comeback of pan pizzas, but is there something changing or being innovative in pizza? Like uh, I don't know, corn uh, mill in the flour pizza, or just anything that we're not normal people aren't seeing? Yeah, I mean, you definitely see ancient grains making multi-grains coming in. I talked about this in the book. You're going to see sprouted grains coming in. 
Um, you know, I just recently won in Italy uh, a few months ago. I won uh, Best Pizza at the World Championships up north, and I competed in the Roman division. And in the Roman division, there was about 100 competitors, and I had a, a double-sprouted grain dough. I thought I was going to be the only one that had this. I uh, came there, and all of a sudden I'm looking at some guys, some heavy hitters that compete that have done well in the past, and uh, especially in the, and they come from Italy. And, and there was actually several multi-grain doughs, a Coruscant, some different uh, doughs with spelt, uh, whole wheat, uh, rye. Um, it was interesting to see that progression in Italy. Um, a lot of people don't think it starts in Italy, but a lot of time it actually it does, and it usually starts with the flour mills that kind of are getting together with pizzaiolos and coming up with something a little different. Um, so I thought I was the only one. I thought it was, I, I won it, but there are also other guys from France and Italy that had multi-grain doughs. So, you know, I, I think you're seeing a little bit of that trend come in. Um, it's not super, super strong. It's very chef-driven. It's not that uh, typical pizza parlor type dough that you'll see, but you're going to see that wave come into New York and some places in Chicago, L.A., San Francisco that are, are, are down that route. Um, ingredients, it's, you know, what's old is new again. You hear that a lot in our industry. And uh, like I said, Detroit, Grandma are two styles that are really, really gaining momentum. Um, it just may be very classic style pizza, but a lot of people don't even know what it is if you're, unless you're from that region. So a uh, tavern style pizza is another style that's becoming popular. That could be also classified as uh, cracker thin or a cracker pan style. It can be served several ways, and it's kind of an old-school uh, type pizza that's uh, served in bars and taverns when you go out and drinking with your buddies in the East Coast and some of these places. You're seeing actually the word tavern-style pizza being um, used a lot and being made a lot across the country. And, and what I say made a lot is, is it may be like four or five operators making them, but these guys are making them, getting written about, they're becoming, you know, the best piece mm-hmm. in their city. And all of a sudden you see that domino effect coming to different cities just because some of these guys are getting such a name and they brought out a style that was old, but now it's new again. Hey, uh, Tony, uh, I got to tell the folks at home that they, they really have to take a look at a YouTube video. We're going to put a link in the show notes uh, just to see you doing your pizza acrobatics. Uh, <laughs> So t- tell oh, us, man. how do you practice that? Because I can, I can barely shape a pie. You know, the acrobatics, you know, I started when I was young. Um, I don't really do it too often um, anymore, but I still do it on occasion. It, it was something that, you know, I used to do for people as they walked into the restaurant. You know, you're an independent operator. You're trying to get guests to come in or, you know, they're waiting for a pie and you do a trick or two while the, you know, mom or dad or son or, or daughter's waiting and I got good at it. I started competing uh, early in my career, um, won a number of world titles, went to Italy, won a number of world titles, started touring around the world. And um, as I was touring around the world throwing pizzas, I, that's what really came out of this book was the Pizza Bible. Everyone said, well, how the heck does this guy know all these styles of pizza? Well, actually, I was actually in these locations working with chefs and operators, and I've been able to get in their kitchens. And when I was doing you know, a cancer camp in St. Louis, it's funny. It wasn't just like I was tossing pizzas in St. Louis and I got back. I actually went to Emo's in St. Louis and tried cracker-thin St. Louis-style pizza and figured out what 
Pravelkis was. So I was, I, was on, I was on tour to Detroit, New York, Germany, where have you. It was a learning curve for me, and all of that kind of came together. And years, years later, I said, you know what? All of this knowledge needs to be in the book, and um, that's how the Pizza Bible is written, actually, from all my travels from uh, winning competitions and doing events. Okay, so, uh, yeah, you're talking pizza competitions. You're co- talking traveling around the world. Are you going to announce on our show that you have a deal with Food Network to make a pizza competition TV show? Oh, man, I was working on that for a long time. <laughs> I, you know, I won their first two competitions for, for pizza. They've, they've had two. Uh, I've won both of those gold medals, but uh, I was hoping we would come back around and work on something else uh, with Food Network. I'm actually will be flying uh, to Italy this week. Uh, I'll be judging MasterChef Italy coming up uh, over the weekend. So I'm pretty excited about that. They will be having competitions with uh, the Italian acrobats from all over Italy and uh, pizza makers. So uh, pretty excited to be on that actually coming up. Oh, that'll be fun. That'll be fun. Hey, Tony, I know we can't keep you uh, all day long because you've got uh, a pizza empire to run, but uh, why don't you tell the folks where they could find all your goodies? Yeah, you know, I'm based in San Francisco at Tony's Pizza Napolitana, and that's in North Beach on the corner of Union and Stockton. And connected to Tony's, my flagship store is a Slice House, and then I have a very awesome uh, place called Capo's. It's a uh, whiskey bar meets Chicago deep dish and cracker thin concept with Italian dinners. Um, if you're ever in Vegas, uh, Pizza Rock in Las Vegas and Sacramento, and uh, Slice House is all over the Bay Area. Too. So, yeah. Oh, you got to open one in Toronto. I'll definitely reserve a seat. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I'd love to get out to Canada, man. I love Canada. It's beautiful. Thanks for joining us so much, Tony. You're welcome back Thank anytime, you guys. sir. I enjoyed it. Thank you. Thank you. Hello, this is Andrew Chalmers from Doctor Who Dark Journey. I play the Doctor, and you are listening to the Book Guys. <laughs> The book guys will return next week, folks. Oh, without with less pizza. Yeah, yeah. I, I know next week. I think uh, maybe sometime next week when you're not in the air, maybe we'll record a Halloween episode. Because I know I know we got a bunch of scary stuff in the wings, just waiting. <laughs> just the threat of another show from us is scary enough. Yeah, no kidding. with that let's just call it alright it'll be fun hey you know what we got on the Halloween episode David Cummings from the No Sleep Podcast that's going to be exciting it's a great podcast see you next week folks same book time stay tuned book readers and book listeners book guys show will return next week same book time same book channel all hail the supreme Dalek. Worship him. Worship him. Report. We have found an economical way to spread our propaganda in the Earth year 2016. Explain. For only 25 Earth dollars a month, we can sponsor one episode of Book Guys Show. A pure blessed Dalek idea. How can we proceed? We must go to patreon.com slash bookguys. 
and become a patron of Book Guy's show. Proceed. Obey him. Obey him. It is done. Initiate the time scanner. Let us hear this propaganda transmission. 